Hello, my name is Cynthia, and welcome to the latest episode of Getting Your Together, a podcast where we discuss what it's like to get it all the way together, or at least attempt to, one day at a time. Hi, everyone. This is Cynthia. I am joined today by Kristen Feimster. So she is a personal trainer and therapist that practices out of North Carolina. Today, we are going to be talking about recovery, health, and then how it can also manifest or change your career path or trajectory. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Kristen, for joining. Hi, thank you for having me. Glad to, to be on to chat with you today. Thank you. Typically, how I start my show is that I like to pass it over to the guest and have them just give a quick little rundown about themselves, like who you are, what you do, and things of that nature. Gotcha. Gotcha. So like you said, I'm a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist practicing in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm also a group fitness instructor and personal trainer. With that, I've combined both therapy and fitness together to create my business, Believe, Be Free, Be Well. It's a private practice that blends mental health and physical fitness together for a more like holistic approach. So clients with me can um, not only do traditional therapy on the couch, but we can also make their therapy sessions more active, whether that's walking and talking or, you know, more um, physical movement than that. And I also provide some mental health and fitness support online as well. So it's my baby. It's new. And I'm excited for where it's headed. Awesome. I'm excited to dive in and learn more about this. And then one other thing about you, you are, you've celebrated five years in recovery, correct? Yes. Yep. December 3rd was my five-year mark. It, it went by slow and it goes by quick at the same time. <laughs> So I'm just happy, happy I made it literally, you know, one day at a time. Like I, I had somebody ask me about my milestone and like how I feel about it. And usually I get like, you know, squirrely around my milestones, but five years felt good. And then it was just like, okay, back to, back to, you know, one thing at a time and just not letting it overwhelm me. Cause it can be when I think back to everything that I've been through both before I got sober and, you know, to get into recovery, there's just a lot there. And so it was, it was great to, to reach that milestone for sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm personally in awe of anyone that has made it past <laughs> and five years seems like such a long ways for me, especially since I just had my one year on the first. So oh, I, congrats, um, congrats. Yeah. Thank you. But with that being said, I know that when we were talking initially about setting this interview up that you mentioned that your recovery was one of the catalysts for you for you when it comes to how comes to your current career and what you're doing now. So mm-hmm. I would love to hear about your recovery story or anything that you were willing to share, your rock bottom, if it was a series of rock bottoms, how did you end up getting there? When did you realize what was your breakthrough? Things like that. Yeah, sure. So I guess um, just some backstory on me um, in the fitness realm. I am a former athlete. Basketball was my sport from age five when they, when my parents put me in rec league all the way to college. And so that's pretty much been, that's all, all of that is a part of my story, my journey, my um, um, addiction, my recovery kind of just stems from that identity, I guess you could say, and that experience. So I 
was a pretty good basketball player in middle school, high school, and would say that, not necessarily to say that being good at a sport um, led to like drinking more, but I did play up. Um, so in ninth grade, I was on the varsity team. And so just naturally I was with older people that were doing things that, you know, 14 year olds don't necessarily get access to at that age or whatever. And so I would say early on, you know, um, my drinking really started with, um, just socially, socially towards the end of high school. I was kind of, I had one foot in rule following and another foot in risk taking. And I kind of just played both sides a lot <laughs> during that time. And so it was never really anything too crazy. You know, I was like the mom of my friend group in a lot of ways. But that's probably where, you know, my relationship with um, alcohol started socially, like most people would say. I didn't have that. I knew from the first time I drank it tight epiphany necessarily, but I definitely enjoyed it and was social and liked to have fun. And so that was a part of that. And I mentioned basketball because I think that, you know, me having something else put my energy into and my focus and to give me purpose throughout high school and college really kind of helped keep me within a safe um, boundary with um, partying and drinking and that sort of thing. And so just I guess naturally my drinking increased in college, you know, more freedom, no parents, living by myself, my friends, you know, becoming of age, all of that stuff kind of just contributed to um, my drinking increasing. And then I would say that the turning point, which really all of this is in hindsight, I don't think at the time I was like, you know what, I think I have something going on here. It was just kind of more, more so a gradual but towards the end of my college um, career playing basketball, I had some life happen. You know, I had a friend whose um, father passed away tragically, just things, life kind of happening a little bit more than my safe bubble, I guess you could say. And so I was overextended as far as being a student and an athlete. I was the president of every club and sort, you know, everything that I did, I was kind of like the leader of it. I was the captain of the basketball team the president of this, the president of that. And all the while, my identity with basketball was coming to an end my senior year. And so I think something that I like to emphasize with what I do now is that not a lot of athletes get support in what that transition looks like mm -hmm. from being a part of a team and having having a goal, a long-term goal, community, you know, not feeling feeling like you have people with you to mm -hmm. do to do life and all that kind of stuff. And then as soon as your season's over, it's like, all right, well, we'll see you sometime. You know what I mean? There's really no like safety net or anything. And so my, I noticed that my drinking increased with that. So I went from having structured scheduling all throughout the week, purpose, you know, and everything kind of spelled out for me to free time, no accountability, no need to show up anywhere for practice or anything like that. And it was an adjustment. I was like, wow, every day feels like the weekend now, you know? And so that was another point where my drinking increased again, you know, coping with that loneliness and, and what's next type deal um, with that. And so I would say that from that point, I did get sober young. Thank God I got sober young. But from that point, when my basketball career ended, up until I got sober, I struggled a lot spiritually, emotionally, 
with just understanding who I was and getting clear on what was healthy for me, whether that be relationships or my eating habits or my relationship with exercise itself and what it represented, all of that was really just barely hanging on, you know, and because I did have, you know, um, I guess now people might say my pride kind of helped me out, but just my drive to like be a successful student in grad school, I was able to, you know, continue grad school, graduated with straight A's. I mean, it was that kind of dichotomy, right? Like on one end, I'm struggling. And on the other end, I'm like successful. And like, how long is this going to last? Like, how Mm -hmm. long am I going to be able to play both sides? Like I've been doing my whole life. And so I would say to your point, your question of like a tipping point, I would say that that was probably towards the end of my drinking is um, I started to realize that the, the consequences were real. I didn't have you know, like a DUI or I didn't have anything external. Most of my Mm -hmm. consequences were internal, but I kind of got to a place where I was like, you know what? I can really see that happening to me. You know, it's not just a movie. It's not just, you know, alcoholism runs in my family. It's not just what happened to so-and-so in my family. It's like, I can really see me getting a DUI like tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? And kind of really taking that in. And also seeing my potential. So this whole time, I'm like balancing being successful with, you know, letting loose a little bit, quote unquote, or, you know, like, and then getting to a point where I was like, this isn't working out. I'm stagnant. I'm not growing. I'm miserable. I'm depressed, isolated. All the things that make me happy are no longer present in this current state. And I just felt like I was at a crossroad. Like you can either continue down this path and you know from, you know, just your family, you know from other people where that ends up. I was in the mental health field at this point. I know where that heads. Or you can go this other direction and try to like put your heels in the sand and just see what you can do. You know what I mean? And so I just decided, you know, it it wasn't overnight. I think probably a year leading up to when I actually got sober, I did a lot of searching online for other people in recovery, specifically like sober black women. Like I would search the hashtags and just wanted to see somebody brown, like living life. I don't know what I was looking for. I was just looking for like some hope, I guess. But there was a turning point where I was like, okay, you know, I really have to start saying yes to getting help um, elsewhere. And so I would say that my my bottom was very personal. I was by myself. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that anybody else saw, but I just made a decision to try a meeting the next day. And that's really kind of where, where my recovery started. Okay. Thank you for sharing your story. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to a lot of rock, like when it comes to your rock bottoms or your, I actually recently did an episode on it, but mm-hmm. I think it's more of like your why. I think a lot of people think it has to be, I don't like to say big or small. I like to say it's like, it's personal to you. Mm-hmm. It's your reason to say like, I can't just go on living yes. this way. Mm-hmm. Mine was also more of like an emotional, personal thing too. So I totally relate. And also mm-hmm. relate on trying to find other brown women in the space or just brown people in the space talking about it so candidly and so openly and not from... A place of shame. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to think of where Instagram was in 2014. That's when, when I got sober. And I don't, I just don't know if, you know, the whole hashtag thing, it, I was just like 
kind of fumbling around and I was like, where? I know there's got to be somebody, but whether it be, you know, just again, like you said, being open about it, um, which is why I've kind of made the decision, you know, to be open about being a person in recovery and sharing my story, you know, when appropriate and when someone, you know, trying to help out is because there was nobody like that, that I could find. Like, and I was really looking for somebody like me or somebody like a podcast or, you know, just anything to kind of help me on a day to day. And so I do notice that there's more of us now, you know, finding that I've actually been able to meet some of one of the women from a hashtag. She actually lives in Columbia, South Carolina. And so I was like, oh my gosh, it's like an hour away, you know? Well, that's cool. And so, yeah, yeah. So it's been cool, but it's definitely still lacking, I would say, in the larger recovery space, like a place for the issues that go into a person of color getting sober. And it's just, it's just been a different walk for me. And I've really appreciated any time I've had someone else either in the same meeting or on social media that can be like, yes, you know, like, yes, you, you get it without saying it, you know? Yeah. Why do you think it's not as prevalent or as outspoken um, when it comes to, even if it's social media or even in like your day-to-day life or something like that, why do you think they're black or brown people feel like they can't come out and speak about these things? Yeah. Yeah. And this kind of gets into kind of the mental health side of like what I do and just, you know, my, my um, interest in family systems and just relational relationally, like how, do we come to deal with issues the way we do and where does it all come from? And man, I could go into like a whole nother hour of like generational trauma and oppression and how systemically we just aren't given the same grace, you know, that people are to fall. And, you know, we have to do twice as, twice as well to be half as good, you know? And so all of that, you know, of course, when, when you have an addiction, it's, shame and guilt. And so we are, it's sometimes we can already have that pressure to beyond perfect and then to have to then admit that I'm not. And, oh, it's this, you know, it's an addiction, which a lot of people see as a choice, you know? And Mm so I think there's just so many obstacles to it being accepted, you know, the stigma around addiction anyway, but then the stigma around, you know, being black and the stigma around being a woman, you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. just multi-layered, I think, with that. And then also, you know, and I'm speaking in general cultural terms, but I mean, I know everyone's not under one umbrella, but just the way we view why issues come about. I think the choice thing and, you know, getting stuck with the willpower thing um, and kind of masking are drinking as something else, you know, um, whether that be social settings and brunch on this day and this on that day, you know, sometimes it can be kind of hard to say, wait a minute, there's something else going on with this, you know, but first and foremost, I think that the more there are people like us saying, Hey, no, it's not that this is what it is. I've had that happen too. I think that it, there will be a ripple effect. You know, I just think it's hard to start you know, and, but I really think that there can be some major change just by having, you know, I even looked at celebrities, I would like type in celebrity names and like see if they were sober just so I could like feel normal, you know? And so I think that the more we share, the more normal it will be. And the more safe spaces will become available because I don't think that 
the recovery spaces that are available now are as safe as it could be for black people. And so anyway, that's a whole nother tangent. <laughs> no, I was going to ask you about that. Like, why do you do that? Your tangent. <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble here. And I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> well, I can, I, I'll speak from my, my experience. That's probably the best way to kind of mm-hmm. give, give it. So I, got sober 2014 going into the, to 2015 that was the same year that trump started running for office mm-hmm. okay so i'm trying to get sober deal with my daily life shower brush my teeth get to work get, you know what i mean just the basics of living and then i have also this other thing going on with society where it's threatening, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel, it's not comfortable. So my stressful days are stressful for more than one reason. And there, you know, and sometimes, you know, the recovery 12 step is kind of what I'm referencing can be very simplified. And, you know, there's a couple of things you can do for all of the, for all of the things you might come across, you know, keep it simple, the basics, all of that. And there were some times where I needed to process other things. And it was kind of hard to set, kind of hard to communicate how this is relevant for my recovery, like the climate of mm-hmm. the world and, you know, seeing people be killed by the police like that kind of messes with my ability to stay sober. And is there a place where I can go and just say, wow, like witnessing that on social media or witnessing that on the news really makes it hard for me to not want to reach for something to feel better or to forget or, you know what I mean? And And so in that way, I kind of felt during that time that I didn't have anybody to talk to with that, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the, in the area that I lived in and the meetings that I went to were predominantly white, predominantly older white men. And (laughs) right. So it was just kind of like, and I'll share, there was like this one meeting. It didn't happen always, but I definitely, and I would like to say that if someone else feels that way do not feel bad that you feel triggered by things that you feel triggered by. I think that was something I went to a meeting and it's something that happened that day. I can't, I don't remember if it was a somebody being killed by the police Mm. or if it was like something political, but something just wasn't sitting well with me. And it was a Monday and I was going to my home group and I was like, I do not though. I just don't want to go. I don't want to see, you know what I mean? I just, yep. Cause you can never really tell who's, you know, I just, something about it. I just needed to not have to be around. Yeah, I needed to be around people of color that day, period. And I knew that wasn't going to happen, you know, but I went anyway because I was going to, you know, it was my home group. It was expected. I had a sponsor. She was going to be there, you know, all the things. And I sat maybe for like 25 minutes and I didn't make it. I left. I wow. ended up leaving. Yeah. I ended up leaving. Because it's just like recovery teaches you that when something's uh, disturbing you emotionally, you have, you need to tend to it. I mean, I think that that's part of my issue is that I would have things I felt uncomfortable with, but because I was too busy people pleasing, I would ignore it. And Mm -hmm. then now I'm miserable and now I'm in a toxic relationship and now I'm, I have poor boundaries and I haven't said no to anything and I'm overextended. And so it was in that, I was just like, I need to leave. I would feel much better and not tense and, and frustrated if I would just leave 
this, this meeting, you know, and I did go back. That didn't kind of like deter me from the whole program, but it was just, that was one of those moments where I just wish there had been like 50, 50 in the room or just somebody, just somebody to kind of feel like you weren't alone, which again, that's what recovery is about is being connected and, or part of it is about being connected with other people. And so that, I think that kind of, I think your original question was, why do I think it's not always safe? And I think that's part of the reason is that the topics and the challenges that we face on a day-to-day, where, where can we process those in recovery? Where can we like talk about how hard it is in recovery? Yeah, I'm totally around. I'm totally with you. I live in Brooklyn. <laughs> so, and it's so funny here because it's Brooklyn's quite diverse, but when it comes to the meetings, it can be mm-hmm. pretty segregated actually from time mm-hmm. to time more than you would expect. There's some, there is a, a mix in certain ones, but I know for me personally that that was something that I sought out was, you know, I needed people that looked like me. I needed people mm-hmm. that I could relate to as I was, I was going through that because even though New York is a very liberal state, there's still stuff that comes up and happens. Stuff with Trump, stuff at work if you're dealing with corporate and you're mm. a person of color. And, and it's mm. like, in order to really like, and they're always like, let get it everything out there, get it all out there. And it was like, I felt in a way that it was hard. And maybe this is just me being in my head, because I, but I really identify with what you were saying. It's like, I needed, it was kind of hard to get stuff out or dump when I was surrounded by people that, didn't necessarily relate to where I was coming from. And Mm -hmm. I felt like it was just like a mirror reflection of like my my job in corporate America, where I'm usually the only one. Yes. Yes. Very much so. That's, that's kind of, and it's so crazy that you say it was like that up North because I would, at least for me mentally, I would be like, I bet it's not like that up North. I bet they have (laughs) more diversity and I'm sure it is different, but I just always kind of fantasized about, you know, how meetings might be in other parts of the world. But I think that, you know, just like with anything that was created, 12-step was originated in the 1930s. I mean, anything that came out of that time is going to have that, you know, I mean, it's going to have certain components to it. And so that is the case for 12-step. That's the case for religion. That's the case for a lot of different things, you know? And so I think that, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if, I hate to say integration, but I don't know if more diversity, I guess, within that space is possible or the answer or whether there's something else that's going to come about for people of color in recovery or or interested in getting help for recovery and like that being like a specific need and not just kind of clumped together with the general recovery journey. I think it's, I think it's unique for sure. I know it's unique. <laughs> so. I know you mentioned something. I'm just going to go back into what you were, your story a little bit. I know you mentioned something mm-hmm. similar about your relationships when it comes to just like you, your body, you and food, you and your exercise. Mm-hmm. Do you, is this something, cause something that I, cause I read a lot, but um, what I've noticed is that they were saying is that typically it's not just like one underlying like addiction. Usually mm-hmm. there's, there's multiple. Mm-hmm. And would you say that, would you say like you, you and how you relate to exercise, was, was that something that you would also consider like you're addicted to? Is it, or was it like you and your like relationships and how you related to people, the type of people that you related to? Mm-hmm. 
so there's a couple of couple of things there. I would say more so when it comes to exercise, I would see that more so for me. Now there's definitely people definitely struggle with over exercising almost to like a disordered side of things or, you know, but for me, I think that I had to relearn what being active meant because I had been, you know, being an athlete, I had in my head what it looked like, you know, in -hmm. order to play, in order to play college basketball, that meant you practice for two and a half hours a day. Okay. Well now that I'm done playing, but you know, I mean, and not all of it was just like, you know, sprinting back and forth, but that was kind of like the thing and you would have a day off and you'd have games and stuff like that. And so when, when my college career ended, it's kind of like, Oh, so how do I enter back into fitness and working out? like without the need for that, you know what I mean? Just kind of finding a new normal more so and being okay with, I guess, mentally being okay with an hour is a workout. Like that's good. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Not, not to a sense where I felt like I was addicted to it. I think it was just like reframing kind of what, I, what was necessary and kind of getting used to that. You know, okay. you're, in the, you're in the best shape of your life when you're playing, when you're practicing that long and your body changes when you stop. And so, mm-hmm. but what I would say about um, a secondary um, issue is emotional eating would probably be what I would say came to the forefront once I got into recovery. And I think it was relevant, you know, as I was drinking too, drinking a lot, eating terribly, you know, just kind of lowered inhibitions, you know, appealing to all of my vices all at the same time. That could have been food. That could have been a relationship. It could have been, you know, just out of control with all of that. And so with my recovery, um, I did have to really kind of look at my relationship with sugar specifically. And you know how they say the first years of recovery and being sober, your sugar cravings are going to be through the roof because alcohol is basically sugar in the body. Mm-hmm. And so me, I already had a, a sweet tooth anyway. And so it was really just tenfold once I um, took alcohol out of the picture. And so that was, that's definitely something I did and do have to be mindful of even now, five years later of how much, like when I get stressed or when I'm overwhelmed, you know, I still have to pay attention to what I'm reaching for in that regard. Um, and so that would be something that definitely was, had to be addressed. Of course, it's not as, um, life or death as, you know, drinking could be, but, um, it was definitely something that came up probably after the first year where I was like, my teeth are going to fall out or, you know what I mean? It was just like, I can't keep, I can't keep going like this. Um, and kind of almost had like a tipping point with that too, you know, and kind of realizing that, you know, there wasn't going to be a, I'll just take care of the alcohol addiction part and everything else is cool. It's like, no, everything that you do to an extreme is eventually going to take you under. And so you have to address all of them in order to really be free. And so that was a lesson I learned along the way for sure. Hey y'all. I hope you enjoyed the first part of this interview with me and our lovely guest. This is going to be a second two-part series, so please tune in next week for the remainder of the interview. If you like what you've heard so far, please leave a review, send a note through Instagram, Twitter. Feel free to follow us on our respective platforms, and we will see you next week. Next week.